0: Terry Howard, you're an Irish Jesuit. You're originally from Drogheda and you are now up in Belfast in the Northern Ministry of the Jesuits. What are you doing there?
1: I'm there nine years now and the main reason I went there was I was asked to become spiritual director of St Malachy's Seminary which I did for nine years and it closed in 2018 after 108 years of being open that is now part of the past for me in fact it has freed me up to become part of a new ministry that we're going to begin in Belfast to young adults but what do I do in Belfast I am Chaplain of Ulster University, Jordanstown and Belfast, I operate in an ecumenical chaplaincy with a Methodist chaplain, married woman, with Presbyterian chaplain, a priest, and with a free Presbyterian chaplain, four of us together. We operate from one desk, two computers, one budget, very small, and we have a sort of a social space where students and staff gather, and we have a prayer room. I say Mass twice a week in the prayer room, not wanting to take too much time in the prayer room because other people use it as well. And I don't want to sort of to monopolise the time. But we have a very, very small, very committed clientele who turn up regularly Monday and Friday for Mass. And it has been extremely, extremely important in their life. In the main room where we operate, we meet students, local students, but mainly international students. The students at Ulster University come from all over the world, from China, from Australia, from the Middle East, and they need a home from home you know people when they're away from home they need a place to be able to socialize and we set out to welcome people we deliberately don't set out to proselytize we tell them that's up front so we're there to help as best we can so we'll give a free lunch on a Tuesday where they can meet your friends and you can just relax staff will be there as well we'll bring people on tours of Northern Ireland we give them an introduction to what Northern Ireland's about Tour of Belfast which is an eye-opener for a lot of people mm-hmm. who don't live in Northern Ireland we'll bring some of the Americans, for example, to the Ulster American Folk Park, Park Parkinoma, and introduce them to where their ancestors came from. We give a broadening experience to people who are there for specific courses, but to broaden out their education while they're there. That's what we do.
0: It must be, it just strikes me, a real witness, mind you, for them to see. And I am taken aback that you're working with, apart from Presbyterian and Methodist, but there's actually a free Presbyterian minister there, and you all work. So well together, that's a witness in itself for people.
1: That's a witness in itself. We're quite proud of the fact that we work together. We get on very, very well together. The university sets it out like this because it sees that in Northern Ireland the way where we've come from in the past the way forward is going to be together so it wants the chaplaincy to work together and we do we don't have any problems in doing this in fact we actually enjoy it now as from a catholic point of view it means because we're working together i have to sort of to let go a lot of the usual stuff that i would do as a catholic priest that's very important to do to let it go because what i used to say to myself is that in this university my main job is to be a presence here I remember one day sitting in the chaplaincy on my own. It was a Friday. I was there about six months and I realised I had nothing to do and I was very happy. Now, what was going on there? I had an awful lot to do, but it wasn't about doing. It was about being there. And I understood quite clearly, you're not looking for results here. The quality of who you are is going to be the most important aspect of your presence here. So that's what I've been doing really for nine years.
0: And what? does it do for you? Do you get something back from those students who come and are they inquisitive? Do they want to talk about God and theology or what's it like?
1: By and large, they don't. Now and again, you get the opportunity with one or two to talk about God and about who you are. Some students, particularly from the Protestant background, would be a little bit sort of reticent about approaching a Catholic priest. They know I'm a Catholic priest, but getting into conversation with me about who I am and what I believe in, a little bit sort of standoffish, I'd say, about that. But every now and again, I do get into conversation with some of them, usually on a one-to-one basis. And I get the chance to share a little bit about myself as a Jesuit and about Ignatius and about what Ignatius discovered. And it's a bit of an eye-opener for them. It's enlivening for me when that happens. I'm not regretting that it's not happening every day of the week because there's more picked up by osmosis than by direct speech. It's more important that, for example, that I help prepare the, the lunch, that I'm there to welcome people, that I dish out the soup. And then when everybody's sitting down, I take out my guitar and I play nice quiet tunes there in the background. Nobody says diddly squat about it, except when they're going out. Love that music. It's just nice to play that.
0: That's really important because well, on tooth fronts it strikes me. I remember years ago talking to one of our other Jesuit chaplains in UCD and they were saying that sometimes some of the students who come actually couldn't afford a lunch. That's why they were there and to get a bowl of soup and a bit of nourishment was important. I and mean, We forget that. Some people can be short of money, especially if they've come from another country. And then the second thing is just to provide a bit of a quiet ambience given the rush and bustle of study and the pressures must be welcome to those students.
1: When I arrived first, our free lunch was very minimal. But little by little by little, we gradually put more resources into it. And we give quite a substantial lunch now where people can come up for more and they then leave full and complete. And that's been very important for us to be able to find a space to let people have as much as they want rather than wondering if you if you give out too much soup you know you won't have anything left for <laughs> the people who are coming a half an hour later but we have just got ample stuff now one of the soups comes from the kitchen from in the university but then I make one myself we have a little urn that I make it in and believe it or not it goes down better than the stuff that comes from the kitchen so I, I love that I ask them well, which soup do you want the one Terry soup I want that one that's the one I want <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's real hospitality, it's isn't hospitality, it? That's yeah. a biblical, I mean, there, there are four people from diverse traditions, but the core of the Bible message is hospitality. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's hospitality. It's welcome. It's creating a space where they're at home. We're not pressurizing them about anything. We don't ask them to commit to anything. We just make this space for them where, to, to meet their need, not our need meet their need and they take of it as they need and then they leave and you might hear a little bit a year or two later or a card when somebody has finished a course and you find an envelope coming with a card in it, just a word of appreciation about how much chaplaincy meant and how much it was a place where because they were away from home they were able to come there and they found a welcome and a place where they knew they could relax. That's very important when you see something like that.
0: And I presume for yourself, you're a present as well when, and this happens unfortunately, but, you know, students' parents die or a sibling or some tragedy falls. That's a time when people whom you might never see for lunch or anything else need to go and talk to somebody.
1: Yeah, we have quite a number of students who are dying. And they die not just around the university, but they die at home or they die in various different places. And because of the Northern Ireland culture, me as a Catholic chaplain, I don't get the opportunity to actually call to their home or to their church, if there's a church involved, to be able to sort of to express the university's condolences. Besides that, the university has its own structure for being able to deal with that. That doesn't rely on chaplains alone. But my first week in the university, I remember meeting this guy. Uh, In the mall carrying a hurling, and two days later he was dead. And uh, he died of meningitis. He was already sick and knew that. But my first experience was as a priest coming from the south, I just go straight to the parish, I can celebrate. I didn't know that that was not the thing to do in Northern Ireland, but that's what I did. But am I so glad that I did? And I had been in touch with that young man's family and his friends. And the mates that he was in, living with in digs who knew he was sick but didn't know how badly he was sick. And to keep in touch with them over the next few years of their time in university. And they've gone through now and they're working else someplace in the world. But that'd but, be a
0: huge loss in their life oh, and a huge I thing know. to face at that age. Oh, gosh, the
1: poor fellas, the poor fellas. And these had been mates before they even arrived. And then in their second week in university, one of the mates is gone. How do you live with that? How do you live with that? And that's just one experience of stuff that's going on all the time. Other people are carrying it, apart from chaplains as well. But staff and university have difficult experiences of young people who are dying. They're dying in car crashes and they die from natural causes. And it has a huge impact on people. But we're not as directly involved in it as maybe I might have expected if it was in a university down south. But there are things that are done in a different way in Ulster University. I'm more on the periphery of it, but pick it up what's going on. I'm informed when somebody dies and the person who's closest to that person's religious tradition, if they do have a religious tradition, might follow it along.
0: So what have you got and what do you get from that ongoing chaplaincy work?
1: One of the greatest satisfactions I have, apart from being a qualitative presence to students and staff, is actually working with the staff of the university. Believe it or not, I'm finding that the staff have a greater need for me, of me, than sometimes the students do. Because today it is not, the working environment for people today is not as secure as it used to be. And that creates an uncertainty in people's life and and it brings on sort of an anxiety sort of uh, condition. uh, And people need help to be able to move through that sort of an experience. So I find myself talking to people who need to talk and I become the listener and what I try to do is listen really, really well because I've discovered for myself that when I listen really, really well to somebody, really well, that listening is healing and the other person will find something through it. So I do a lot of listening, a lot of letting people speak, a lot of picking up the feelings of what's going on, feeding it back to them and helping them to process whatever it is that's going
0: on. Does that tie in then with your training as a spiritual director? Because you are a trained spiritual director as well.
1: I think, yeah. My main work, I would say, in Belfast is takes place in my home. I have been doing spiritual direction for the last nine years. I would see maybe two people a day, four or five days a week, on top of everything else. And I've learned to appreciate that I have a gift for spiritual direction. I'm able to hear what's going on in a person's life and feed it back to them in a way that's not directional so to speak, but to help them to hear what's going on. And I've seen it again and again and again, how people can be helped. So that developed sense of being able to spot God's movement in somebody's life through listening, I bring to the university. It's just part and parcel of who I am now, whether it's in the university, whether it's at home, listening to anybody. It's always with an eye to the gifts that I would have developed in spiritual direction.
0: And who would come to you, Terry?
1: At home, my main ministry is both lay people and priests and deacons. More recently, in the Down and Connor, there has been the introduction of the permanent diaconate. These are lay men, married, some of them, most of them, some not but they become deacons not on the way to priesthood, permanent deacons. And as part of their training, they have to have a spiritual director. So I would meet one or two or three of those as they journey through their four-year program and accompany them. Even after they are ordained, they might continue, as some do. I would meet a number of priests. I would meet a number of lay people who might have some involvement with other retreat houses or have a developed sense of a spiritual life and they need spiritual direction
0: would be men and women. Men
1: and women. I would meet people from the local parish where I play guitar on a Sunday morning for a kid's mass who come to me and they have a particular need. And I would say, maybe a few sessions of spiritual direction might help you. And they would come. So I meet a, a whole variety of people, lay and religious, well-formed people and people not particularly well-formed, but people who are in need. And it's the ministry of spiritual direction just enables me to help them to move the next step. That's probably the best way of putting it.
0: And it's Belfast, so presumably, you know, you're from Drogheda, the south of Ireland. Does the troubles and that legacy play a role in people trying to process their own faith journey?
1: I've come across very little of it where people are trying to process their own faith journey through particular difficulties and the troubles. Very little of it. I think people do a lot of processing of their own faith journey, troubles related, on their own At this stage now in Northern Ireland, it's a post-conflict sort of society. People are living very much without war, without fighting, very much in a peaceful place without there being peace per se. I'm not finding that people are needing to sort of to come to process stuff. I think to sort of move beyond that themselves, they're moving ahead now with their own particular lives in the way that they need to. I'm sure if I was dealing in a particular type of ministry where there are people still living with hurts from Northern Ireland, I would come across them in that particular ministry where they might need some psychotherapy or psychology work. But I don't come across that much myself. Others would.
0: And are you fulfilled in that role as well? It sounds like you're saying to me that that's something that you've really found, that you are graced and gifted at, and that that's an important part of your ministry in the North.
1: There are times when I have finished spiritual direction, That I'm so affirmed in who I am, and I say to myself, and I say to the superior in the house, you know, this is the most important ministry we have. I hope I never leave Northern Ireland. (laughs) I say, I say this to him because Northern Ireland is so different, you know, to the south of Ireland. In what way? Well, as a southerner, you see, I would see Northern Ireland in the way that I was brought up by the media and by culture to see it. But when I get to Northern Ireland. I discovered that there's a whole new reality of people here that I don't know. And I described it for myself when I arrived, like I was going back to primary school and having to learn something from scratch again. But I set out deliberately, in fact, to inform myself and to get educated on what makes Northern Ireland Northern Ireland. What about this group of people that I don't know about? To go and find out. I've learned some of my most deep stuff I've learned from a Methodist minister called Johnson McMaster, For me, he's the one who opened my eyes about the reality of Northern Ireland as a state and the Republic of Ireland as a state and where those beginnings of state took place. Both of them have a blood sacrifice. One has 1916 GPO, one 1916 Battle of the Somme. And it opens my eyes that here's a a whole new reality here that as a Southerner, if I was living in the South, I might say, well, you know, when are they going to join us type of thing? But As a southerner living in the north now, I'm saying, no, there's a whole reality here that needs to be respected. And I've learned how to let Northern Ireland be Northern Ireland. It doesn't have to form part of the rest of this island. And I find that such a liberating place to be. And I'd only wish, in fact, that more Jesuits and more people from the south of Ireland, in fact, went to the north to feel and be in touch with the difference between north and south. That's the way forward. Not learning through our heads or through the media what we have come to learn down south. We really need to meet each other. And over those last nine years, I suppose the gift has been for me i've met people for the first time and it's changed me and i'm delighted i don't want to leave the north of ireland now and i'd love to stay there now for as long as i'm let because i've come to appreciate different groups different cultural backgrounds different loyalties all Deserving respect.
0: Yeah, including nationalists, because I'm obviously a yeah. northerner. I'm a nationalist yeah. from the bog side, and I would love to see that unity. No, not at any price, obviously, yeah. but that's where my natural move toward would be, draw would be.
1: And, I mean, I'm keeping an open mind whether there will ever be unity. I'm listening to the Good Friday Agreement, the will of the people. I'm very respectful of that. What more concerns me is that we get to know each other. That's what's going to make the difference. And as a Southerner, there are people I don't know, but I'm getting to know them now.
0: And you will hope to do that for some time.
1: I hope to do that for as long as I am able.